Women Taking the Lead, Episode 168. It's not too early and it's not too late. I think I have hemmed myself in by saying I'm not old enough to do this yet. And then I hit a point when I said, I'm too old to do this. And wherever you are is the right time for you to step up as a woman and lead. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Every child wants to be the hero of their own story. At JulesCustomBooks.com, your child plays the central role in every book, bringing joy and delight when they hear their name and those of their family and friends. Visit JulesCustomBooks.com to make your child the star of the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Elizabeth Crook, who is a strategist, game changer, and reinvention expert. She has been the CEO of Orchard Advisors for over 20 years, helping CEOs grow their bottom line and have more fun. She believes if everyone had the work and life they love, we could change the world. Her book, Live Large, The Achiever's Guide to What's Next will be released in May of 2017. Elizabeth, that is just a little overview for everyone. So if you could, tell us a little bit more about you and your own humble beginnings. Well, thank you very much, Jody. I'm excited to be with you and congratulations on the good work you do. All of us need to know that we've got somebody who's cheering us on. I grew up in a time long before Title IX. And my mother, I grew up in a small town. Uh, My father was a pediatrician. We certainly lived comfortably. I didn't know that we weren't rich until much later in my life. But uh, my mother always was warning me to not be too competitive because I was good at school. I was good at sports. I could play the piano. I was musical. I was pretty, which I can say without bragging because I wasn't responsible for it. And when (laughs) when I graduated from college, I went straight to New York. I just couldn't wait to get there. And to my surprise, I found out that as a woman, I couldn't get a job. So I started at secretarial school, quite a come down from having been at an elite university, because management programs were not open for women. So I started looking after a year of being a secretary and was hired as the first woman in outside sales by Dun & Bradstreet. It was hard work, I I will tell you. My feet killed me. I hated the way that men would say, honey, can you type? We're looking for a new girl. And even though I outsold their best salesman, I knew that that was not for me. By that time, I had gotten pregnant, and so I just retired and was busy being pregnant, which everybody who's ever had a child knows that it doesn't take much to just sit there and be pregnant. But my son was born, and then we came back to Nashville. And really, my first business mentor at that moment was a woman named Kathleen, who's still one of my best friends today. And uh, my second mentor was my husband. And I married and divorced in there. And my husband was a man I had met in New York, but we reconnected. And uh, he told me he was working on multi-million dollar deals, and I was working for Planned Parenthood for a pitiful salary, and I was being appropriately humble and impressed and in love. And he said, stop it. He said, you are smarter than 99% of the people out there. The only difference between what you do and what I do are the zeros at the end. And it was, he was 
without his encouragement and involvement and belief and support, I'm not sure I could have broken through in ways that I later came to break through. You know, Elizabeth, it's so true. And I've said this before. It often takes someone else to look at us and and like hold up a mirror. Absolutely. So that we can see what we're capable of, so that we can start to believe in ourselves. So then we can take the actions that are appropriate with who we really are. And you know what? We're going right there because I know right now what you have going on in your business and you with the book you're releasing, you're so confident about what your talents, your gifts, what you're sharing with the world. But it all it wasn't always like that, like you said. And we kind of joked before we hit record about the playing small moment and really just share just one. That's it. Just one because we we all have several. But if you could share with us your favorite or the most relevant playing small moment that you have and the lessons you learned from it. When I moved to Venezuela, uh, where I lived for 12 years, I didn't speak Spanish. I got busy learning it and I soon met a woman who was a psychiatrist and she invited me to be part of a discussion group with other, I had a master's in guidance and counseling and she would have amazing speakers come. And one day after I had participated in one of these discussions, I was there because I actually went into analysis and she said, I noticed something. Every time you spoke, you preceded it with, I'm probably wrong, but. And she said, you bring a very distinct point of view, but there's something that's not triggering in your own mind. And I started thinking and we explored. And what I realized was that I had this belief that either everyone else saw it or I was wrong. I simply couldn't entertain the notion that I had a unique perspective and insights that other people didn't have. It was, you know, as they say, as if the heavens opened up and the heavenly host started singing. And I realized that I had been carrying that for most of my life. And so with that, I began to start paying attention to my perceptions and to my sense of a situation. I became increasingly skillful at articulating my insights. But that was the moment. Um, that really stands out for me most. Oh my goodness. I love that you shared that because I don't think that's something we hear enough that we all have a unique perspective, right? And can share that perspective. And it's by sharing that perspective that we show our value. And so many of us undervalue it. Absolutely. And, you know, I I remembered that when I was in third grade, I was in my class and my teacher was talking, to, saying something about math and I was good in math. And I said, but what about this? And what about that? And I remember she said, you are wrong. And I remember feeling so frustrated that I couldn't seem to explain to her or the rest of the class what my question was. And I, you know, I'm not sure it was that one incident, but I feel like that that was a contributing incident to my just denying that I had a special point of view. Mm, I know. And it's, it's unfortunate, but we, you know, I think we all have those experiences where, you know, they left a mark on us. Yes. And I think I'm sure you in in your work, just based on what you said in your leadership and personal coaching, and I do is work with people and the limiting beliefs that we set up. And many times they were based on old experiences or even the experience of people we knew. And uh, I worked with a man who was uh, very successful in, he had, his family had, the father had left them when they were 
little. And his proudest thing was, I've never had to depend on anyone. And indeed, that kept him safe and let him get a college education first in his family. But when he joined a leadership team, it was counterproductive because in order to be successful, you can't do it all on your own. So it's, it's just, but it made sense that he felt that way. Yeah. And you know, it's a quality, it it was probably baffling for him because it was a quality that made him successful, but could only get him so far. And I think a lot of us bump up against that. Like you want me to give up the quality that got me to this point. Exactly. But, But that's the reality. Oftentimes we do have to let go one of our strengths learn something new so that we can get to the next level. And it's so painful and it's precious to watch, um, but it's absolutely true. And it doesn't mean giving it up. It just means having some other choices. You know, it would be if I came to visit you in Maine and only brought a a cotton dress that's appropriate for this time of year in Nashville, uh, I would say, ah, you would say, "What's, what's with the cotton dress? Well, I always wear cotton dresses. But it would be inappropriate. So I would need to have a cotton dress and I would need to have my down jacket and I would need to have long pants and all of that. So it's about expanding a repertoire of responses so that you don't just always do that same thing. Yes. Letting go of your default to have more choices, to use more strategies. Exactly. I guess it's the way to do it. Awesome. Now, now, Elizabeth, if you could share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake-up call. It could have been an instantaneous aha moment, or it could have been a slow dawning, right? Where, and then you finally realize what you must do. But there's always a moment where we're ready to take action. So if you could share with us your wake-up call and the steps you took that led to your success. I think one of the biggest ones, and I think it has been iterate, iterative. In other words, it's gone back around and around several times is once I understood I could that I saw things that I really brought a very valuable perspective a strategic perspective which not everybody thinks strategically some people are much better at laying out the one two three four five it doesn't make one of us better or worse than the other we just have very different talents is that I would push hard for making my point I frequently, I think, created resistance that didn't need to be created. I think for a long time I needed uh, someone's approval. I needed people to see what I did and to recognize it. So the shift for me has come over the years in, in internalizing a confidence and internalizing a belief that I have nothing to prove, that I am there to serve and to support and to help but not needing to be recognized in the same way. I think that that has been a slow evolutionary process. And I can also tell you with certainty, it is why I can work with people at the level I work with and why with my corporate clients, we can do things, we can do things that they've never done before. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth, if you could expand on this, because I'm I'm kind of putting myself in the minds of, of the women who are listening, where you shared that um, one thing we need to do 
is to speak up and give our perspective more because that's where we share value. Yes. And in this one, you're saying how you don't always have to push your point. And I can see the distinction, but if you could elaborate so that, you know, someone who's listening knows when it's the time to speak up and share your perspective and when the time is where you'd be better served by being supportive and go and meeting the needs of the people who are around you. I th- I think that's a great point. I think part of it is not being afraid to say what is true for you. I think the other part is checking out where other people are. So many times if I'm working with a group and it seems to me that they're going off on the wrong track, instead of saying, you guys are getting ready to drive this off a cliff, I guess if I've been working with somebody a long time, I might, but I'm more likely to say, uh, it seems that, uh, how do you see the consequences or what do you think are the implications of this decision? I use a lot of questions and Mm -hmm. what many people think, and I think especially women, is that we believe that questions uh, show a weakness. It means that we don't know, but the person who's asking the questions is really the one in command and in control of the conversation. So the more we can listen and turn it into a question that lets them uh, put forth their point of view. But I think that the courage, the boldness, the taking the lead has to first be an internal one. I believe if you can feel that internally, then that will guide your actions in the external. But I think as you're stepping into it, of course, you're going to be pushing it out because it's almost like we're trying to convince ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And we do that by getting loud and big. I mean, I've been all of those things. I have been absolutely, I'm sure, a case. And there were people who know me well who say, you know, initially I thought you were just this incredibly intimidating person. But, of course, that pushed people away, the very last thing that I wanted. I really wanted people to seek me out. And so Mm -hmm. as I became more deeply assured myself, then it drew people to me instead of the reverse. But I think mm-hmm. that I think that feeling has to be inside. And there's a woman named Dana Wild who's written a book called Train Your Brain. She and I uh, met some years ago and she talks about using mantras. And uh, they're very powerful. And you say it in a way that, you know, it's it's as if it's already happened and it's something exciting. So when I wanted to grow my business, I said uh, my business is booming and profitable new clients are filling my roster. Well, I have to tell you, Jody, it was just amazing. All of that stuff started happening. So if you're working on your confidence, say, I'm confident and people perceive me as an expert in my field. So start with the inner game first. Mm-hmm. And I think you make a good point too, as well. When, when you do feel that confidence, you don't need your name splashed across all the credits. You know, you don't need to, to own, that was my idea and I took it. And the strategy you outlined was a strategy that I love utilizing, learned recently in terms of working with people around conflict management. Mm-hmm. Because if you know you have the right idea or you can see like the bus is going to get driven off the cliff, right? right? You, you don't, you 
don't have to say to somebody, you're wrong, that's a stupid idea. You know, what made you think that would work? Instead, I, and I love the approach you outlined, you ask questions like, how are we going to make that happen? What, what are some things we're not thinking about? What are, what are some of the variables that are going to become involved? How is this going to impact this department, that department? And by asking those questions, I think you actually do start to look like an expert, but more importantly to the people you're asking the questions of, you come across as an advocate as opposed to an adversary. And that builds bonds and relationships that will serve you better down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, uh, you know, there is that, that step stage that we call first, we're unconsciously incompetent. In other words, we don't know that we really don't know. And then we are consciously incompetent. We know that we don't know. And then we are consciously competent. In other words, we have to think about it all the time. And then we become unconsciously competent. It is so deep within us that we just do it naturally. And I think that that's another way for people who are working on their own confidence and leadership to think about those stages. And there's nothing wrong, too, with being consciously incompetent, because that's the first step. Yes. That is the first step to get you to unconsciously competent. That's when you're a master. You don't even have to think about it. So if you have that moment of, oh, my goodness, I really don't know a lot about this, that's a great understanding to have, because then you get motivated to get trained, to to become knowledgeable, and that leads to success. It does. It does. And when I was, you know, I was a grown woman and had had a career when I moved to Venezuela and I didn't speak Spanish. And so I had to go, I knew that I didn't know Spanish, but just having to get over those humps to the point of then being unconsciously competent. Yeah. And Elizabeth, you've been driving towards this question anyway, but I'm just going to ask you to articulate it in a way that that, um, feels right for you. How would you describe your leadership style? I've been getting a sense of it, but how would you describe it? Well, there are there are two things I think for me is uh, I think I have shifted to be much more focused on seeing and hearing other people. Uh, I think the other thing that I have done is I have spent a lot of my time, and I think probably women do it more than men, in believing that there was an expert out there who had the right answer, <laughs> and. Now what I have come to believe, and I think it's made me a much stronger leader, is that there are experts and they are there to teach me and I do take advantage of them. I have done work with Tony Robbins. I've done work with Jack Canfield. I have done work with a number of uh, teachers. And I know that in the end, I'm the only one who has the answers for me. So it's taking that and incorporating it into what I know to be true for me and uh, taking responsibility for my own or my project or my team's success. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me very much a part of your leadership style is to keep growing and developing yourself as a person and as a leader. Absolutely. I think there is, uh, you know, reading or listening to podcasts or TED Talks or whatever. If we're not constantly out there saying, you know, what are some fresh ways of thinking, talking to people in different generations than the ones you are being curious. And I think especially as we as we get older, we have a way of thinking that 
it's easy to think that we know it all because we do know an awful lot of things, but we don't know mm-hmm. it all. And uh, I think just that different point of view, that different perception, I think that's one of the great gifts I got from living in another culture is it gives you an appreciation for the multiple points of view that may exist and that each one of those can be enriching. Doesn't mean you have to agree, but it enriches how you see. Absolutely. And Elizabeth, I know your book is coming out next year in May, but what is one thing that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Well, certainly in building the platform for the book is very exciting and it's taken us in a whole new direction. I'm doing things that I've never done before in terms of working with a publicist and a brand strategist and people like that. I think the other thing is in my work with uh, companies that we are digging deeper. I'm working with a number of companies that are in leadership transition uh, stages and also in stages of broadening their markets, but at the same time drilling down to a place where they're really leveraging what they do through their core competencies, being increasingly skillful, increasingly, you know, just learning new ways to talk about uh, business. Uh, And then also in working with individuals, I do have a very small group of clients that I work with, people who want to be uh, very active in using their talents and resources to change the world. And part of it is helping them to find a role that they want to play in making those changes. Are they a check writer or an envelope stuffer or go out and do something in the streets? And how do they build on the things that their their true talents and gifts in order to get the impact that they'd like to see? Awesome. And with all of that, Elizabeth, what would you say is your biggest leadership or business challenge that you're faced with? It kind of goes it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, and that is getting help. I have a great team, and part of it is balancing the responsibility of what is mine to be responsible for and what is theirs, and not surrendering because i I know that part of me wants to say, "Here, you just take this and run with it." And so it's balancing when I give over what level of delegation we're talking about and what level of responsibility I have. Mm-hmm. And that's a great segue because um, I'm always curious with the guests that come on what their support system looks like. I think too often we see, you know, women or men achieving great success and th- there's this misperception that they did it largely on their own. Well, and you and I both know that <laughs> that is not true. Right. So if you could um, give us a quick snapshot of the people you have around you who hel- who have helped you achieve your current level of success and allow you to keep going to new levels. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, one of those is certainly my personal assistant who has been with me for 15 years. And when I hired her, you know, when you're a consultant, in many ways what you're doing is selling your time. And I said... Everything you do, whether it's business and personal, from the beginning was to allow me to spend more of my time in front of clients doing things that were remunerative. And I said, I won't ask you to cook, clean, or do the, do the laundry, but everything else is in. So she handles, she handles a huge responsibility, all my scheduling, all my travel, all of my, she handles all of our billing, she handles all of my slides and all of the documentation for strategic planning. And, uh, and we just had to put down our dog, but he, she would schedule the dog grooming, etc. 
then I have a young woman who is part-time, but we've known each other for about 10 years, uh, Heidi, and she is the momentum manager. She's the one who we run two different websites. She's the one who deals with all of the back end of many of our systems. And then now in preparation for the launch of the book, we have another part-time person who is going to be really on the social media team. So I couldn't do what I do if it weren't for them. I love that. Nice picture of like all their different roles in your life. And now, Elizabeth, I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? I have a coach. <laughs> and, I, and I also am in a peer group, a mastermind or peer group. And then I read a lot. Mm-hmm. What is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? I think I would say two, actually. One is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Uh, She talks about the shame piece, and I think that we all need to learn how to deal with that shamed part of ourselves. And then a new book that's coming out, written by a friend of mine called Gutsy Women Win. It'll be out this fall. Uh, Pat Obachowski is the author. Love it. And what advice would you give your younger self? It's not too early and it's not too late. I think I have hemmed myself in by saying I'm not old enough to do this yet. And then I hit a point when I said, I'm too old to do this. And wherever you are is the right time for you to step up as a woman and lead. Amen. (laughs) I'm loving that one. (laughs) And Elizabeth, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Well, my mantra now is millions of lives and millions of books. It has meaning for me now because it's a way I remind myself that even now I'm not playing small. Even now I'm not uh, saying it's too late. It is just the right time. And I feel like there's so many people who want to be intentional about how they use their talents, their experience, their resources. And that's why the book is Live Large, an achiever's guide to what's next, because People need a way to wrap all of who they are into that decision-making for what's next in their life. Yeah, and I think you point to um, an experience a lot of people have after they've had a big success is they ask themselves that question, like, what now? Yes. Right there. There's that. Um, what's that experience? The day after the wedding, they have like the, 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 the wedding hangover or the wedding depression sets in because you're no longer working on this big thing. And we're not designed to, to live that way. We're, we're ready. Not that we don't celebrate a big success, a big win, but then you've got to have something on your horizon Absolutely. as well that you're working towards. Absolutely. And so This is for people, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a big win. It is that sense of, I've colored in this square, and I've I've done all I can do with this, and I want the next thing, but I'm not sure what that is, and I'm not sure how to get at what that is. And so in Live Large, it is a way, it's really a process that has worked for hundreds and hundreds of people to discern what that next is in a very practical, fun, deep way. I'm looking forward to it for sure. (laughs) And Elizabeth, lastly, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Well, if they go to biggersmarterricher.com backslash offer, we will send them a, a piece of how to plan for your own success for free. 
offer. Love free gifts. We love free, free gifts. stuff. So biggersmarterrichercom forward slash offer. Exactly. Perfect. And for those of you on the go, you know you can find all the links and resources that Elizabeth shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. If you put Elizabeth in the search bar, her show notes page will pop right up for you. And Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you, Jody, And thank you for the work you do. And just keep at it, women. The world needs us. Your website tells a story about your business. At Zebra Love Web Solutions, Millie and her team are going to make sure your website tells the story you want your customers to hear. Connect with Millie at ZebraLoveWebSolutions.com to create the impression you want to make. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life but need some support? Head over to WomenTakingTheLead.com forward slash contact to introduce yourself. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me and here's to your success.